Hey everyone, welcome back. We are now looking, so last time we actually talked about how to travel from a honeymoon standpoint, international travel, and uh, great information. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please go back and listen and watch, uh, especially if you're about to get married, there's some really great information in there. But this time we're actually gonna talk like some details about things that people rather not talk about or they just are afraid to talk about. We're talking about home mortgages and that's a kind of a big scary word, but because uh, a lot of people probably think, oh gosh, I've only had one mortgage in my life. I don't I want to go through that process again. So, but I'm here to help. So we have today Andy Gagliano with Gagliano Mortgage and he has been in the mortgage business for quite a while. He knows all the ins and outs, and he is uh, fantastic to work with. Uh, we've been working with him as a company for a couple months now and just absolutely love Andy to death. And so I want to take an opportunity to bring him on and kind of let him talk about what he does and hopefully answer some questions that people probably have about the mortgage world that they're afraid to ask. So Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and oh, yeah. share something I know a little bit about. <laughs> you, you said you were going to pick on my expertise and I don't know that I have a whole lot of it to offer, but we'll try and see what we've got. And, you know, I, I'm glad that you transitioned into mortgage for marriage and honeymoon because I didn't want to have to turn you down on this, <laughs> on your proposal right here on this podcast. You know, that would have been terrible. I love it. But, you know, and I say that I'm just, I might be playing hard to get, but anyway. So <laughs> I have been in the mortgage business for about 27 years now, okay. and I started my company 25 years ago. So March this past year, 2020, was 25 years that I celebrated uh, for since the creation of Galliano Mortgage. And, you know, it's been, man, it's been a wild ride, you know a lot of good years, a handful of bad years in the industry following the crash in 08 and, you know, all that, all those hard times. And now we're, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and a lot of people are struggling right now. But, you know, for people who can buy right now or can refinance right now, and usually the number one limiting factor of that is if they're employed or not, it is an excellent time to either refinance or buy because mortgage rates are at all-time lows. And so, you know, that is a, presents a great opportunity for people to get out there and either save some money on their current mortgage or possibly pull some cash out of the equity that they have in their property because property values have escalated so much over the past several years. Or, jump out there and buy that dream home, you know, and, and it's just a great time because right now, you know, even though property values have been escalating, they have been escalating enough to make the real estate market attractive because mortgage rates have come down. Mm -hmm. And so someone who may have to go spend let's use a nice round number, $300,000 on a house, can get that $300,000 house today for the same payment that they could have gotten a $250,000 home a year ago. 
And so, you know, it's just, it's a really great time to be out there and in the market to buy or refinance. Oh, yeah. So uh, touching a little bit on, you've been in this industry now for 27 years. Uh, So you've seen, like you were heavily involved in 2008, like you were. Yeah. And, and most people who are watching this definitely remember that. And that was a time in this country, at least, that was detrimental in your industry, really most industries at that point. Yeah. Was there, um, just trying to think here, like if you've seen that and then here we are, you know, last year was an incredible year. And then this year things got turned on its head. Yeah. You know? The pandemic. I think, from your standpoint, looking at this, knowing that you've been through 2008, I mean, what we're seeing here in 2020, does it bring memories back from 2008, or do you think we're way beyond what 2008 was even trying? You know, that is a fantastic question, and it's one that I've had a few people ask me, and I do not see a lot of similarities between where we are right now in 2008. And the main reason that I say that is, you know, in 2008, there was an unbelievable amount of speculation going on in the real estate world. Mm -hmm. There is some of that going on right now. And, you know, I think a lot of the factors that are driving the speculation in real estate right now are TV driven. You know, everyone's because everyone's at home watching a lot of TV and one of the most channel popular channels out there right now is HGTV and they've got all these flipping shows on there and they make it seem like it's so easy just to go out and buy a house Mm -hmm. that needs a little bit of work done to it, fix it up, flip it and make this huge profit. And in all actuality, it's not that easy. And so these people who are who have these shows are getting these mar- these houses from certain leads within the industry before those properties ever hit the market. Yeah. And so average buyers like you and me don't have the opportunity to get out there and, and purchase these homes at these discounted prices like these flippers or flippers and these people that have these shows are doing. But that's a little off topic. Getting back on topic. One so I'm I'm probably going to say some things and you know me well enough personally to know that I'm not very politically correct. <laughs> I'm just going to say stuff and we'll deal with it. But you have to know my heart's in the right place. My words don't always sum up what my heart feels. And so if, if what I'm about to say seems cold, it's not meant that way. I know right. there are a lot of people who are suffering from this <laughs> pandemic and, you know, financially and even physically. And so the one of the major differences, another major difference that I see in today's market and the market in 2008 is that the majority of people who have been hit the hardest by the pandemic with the shutdowns in the business and so on and so forth are in the service industry, food Mm -hmm. service, travel and leisure, those types of industries have been hit the hardest. And those industries 
typically are not the industries that put out a bunch of home buyers. And so, you know, um, again, you know, I'm, I'm probably am going to beat this horse until it is absolutely dead and there's nothing left of it. But, <laughs> you know, you look at your average waiter or your average waitress, they're not of home buying age. Now, granted, legally, you can in the state of Alabama, you can buy at the age of 19. But what I mean is they're just not they don't make up the big demographic of home buyers. Yeah, I mean they're they're your they're your renters. You know, they're renting apartments and they're your maybe, maybe renting a home or maybe staying at home uh, right. with their family. Right. Uh, I mean, because you know, even from and that that will get into our first question in just a second. But yeah, uh, you know, your minimum wage to really anything under twenty bucks an hour, it's difficult to buy a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ways to do it, obviously, but you're. I mean. Just from the standpoint of someone much rather pay at, at that wages a six hundred or seven hundred dollar month rent than a fifteen or thirty year mortgage that's probably gonna be more per month. Right. And so yeah, I mean I totally get it. And I think I think you're right. I think the what's happening right now has a huge impact on the service industry. I mean, like you said, the restaurants in particular, and that's a demographic that generally may not be buying a home right now. Um mm-hmm. They, they're they're looking to the next level and then they'll get there and then they'll look at buying a home, but just yeah. not right now. Yeah. And, you know, that the renters and them not being able to make their payments does affect the real estate market in the respect that there is a property owner out there who owns that property who likely has a mortgage on it that yep. that renter is in who is not paying the rent. Yep. And so that is going to lead to some foreclosures and yep. that type of thing. And, you know, somewhere down the line, we could see some depreciation in the real estate prices. But now is just such a good time because interest rates are so low that you know, you still have to look at it and say, okay, if I buy this house for $300,000 today and I get an interest rate in the upper twos, lower 3% range, and the price of the house depreciates by 10% or 15% over the next two years, you know, if you're not planning on moving in two years, what does it matter? You're yeah. in this house and you're a lot better off than you would be paying today's escalated rent prices yeah i so. would even i remember in 2008 because uh, i would say like one of the biggest differences between 2008 and now is that you can still put your house if it's a good house you can put your house up for sale and sell in a day mm-hmm. in this market in the birmingham market like my brother recently sold his house in trustful it was on the market for a day or two yeah and it sold and he had more than one offer coming toward it. So it's kind of like you go back to 2008, his house would be still for sale right now. Oh yeah, uh, no doubt. It, it would not, people weren't buying. And then going to what you're saying, if, if you don't plan on moving for a long time, well, don't worry so much about the value of your home right now. Uh, don't get, because I remember somebody was, I was I remember talking to somebody, they said, yeah, I was really nervous in 2009 about my house and we're like, 
but I'm not going over for 15 years. Like, well, who cares? <laughs> Keep right. making your payments. Yeah. And then just uh, when that time comes, you do sell, you'll probably end up making money just over time. Because I, as we all know, with investments in general, it's it's the time in the market, not timing the market. That's um, right. And so anyway, yeah, I think that's good. But all that being said, I think that it's a good transition to our first uh, major question here yeah. is help the help us help the first time home buyer understand what their expectations are, what kind of what are the best practices, what you know, basically if you were gonna give somebody a, a simple guide to like, hey, if, if you're a first time home buyer, look at this, this, and this, and it'll make it better for you. Or let me explain like why this is going to happen. Uh, don't be caught off guard by this. So from your expertise, because I've you know I'm I have I've only owned one home. I've only gone through the mortgage process one time. Yeah. Um, so and I know it was like a big. It's like the first time you buy a car. It's the first time you do these large things in life. These life changing things, and it's all scary. Oh, and then yeah. once you're and once you're done with it, you're like, oh. Well, that's not too bad. And then you, and then of course we all learned something from it. Like I, I learned with my house, it was a foreclosure and it was VA owned, which I learned that being a VA owned foreclosure is actually not a terrible thing because the house was in perfect shape and not, oh, yeah. not messed up. And it was yeah. actually winterized and everything. But then the problem that we ran into was the VA demanded an exact final price and there was something on on the price, like something depreciation every day on something. And it changed it like by 20 or 30 cents a day. And we had to go back to the table like four times to get it finalized. It was frustrating, but it went from like, oh, I'm closing today. Three closings later, I finally closed because it was just the, literally, I remember the closing attorney just said, hey, I got 75 cents in my pocket. I can just hand it to him. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. that's, that's how like hard cut it was. But uh, no, so tell me, tell us, tell everybody that's watching, like what to look for, you know, calm their nerves type of thing. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I would say to a first time home buyer, and in fact, I do say to every single first time home buyer that calls me is use a real estate professional to help you find the house that you want to buy and to walk you through the home buying process. Because as a buyer, you're not paying that professional's commission. The seller is paying the commission to that professional who's helping you to buy that person's house. So, I mean, that's like, you know, getting all the expertise of someone and, and I mean, you're just getting it for free. So why would you not take advantage of that? And real estate agents have access to thousands of properties for sale in their database. And so they can help you once you tell them what it is that you're looking for. They can help you find the perfect property and then start to walk you through the process of how you become a buyer. So that's the first thing that I would recommend to any home buyer out there, especially first time home buyers. So secondly, is just to kind of piggyback onto what you said. 
it's important to remember that you're not the first one to go through this. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> there's a process. <laughs> there's a process. And the process is, oh, it can be frustrating at times. And it can be an emotional anchor at times. But what I would say is that once that transaction is closed and done and you've moved into the house, every day that goes by become that that struggle that you went through to get the, the house closed and all the ups and downs that you went through emotionally to get the house closed and the expense of buying the house just all goes away. Mm -hmm. And you realize in five or 10 or 15 years when you get ready to sell the property that it was all way worth it because had you continued to rent, you wouldn't be getting that big fat check when you get sit down to sell the property and you wouldn't be getting the equity in the property that you've built back up out for you to go buy another one. Or, you know, if you're retiring, you go retire and you use that money for whatever you want to use it for. But that's, that's kind of the you know 100,000 foot view. We'll get in a little bit closer as someone's going through the mortgage process as a first time buyer. You know, I would say that the majority of the issues that I see come up on a mortgage application are income related and or asset related. So, you know, there's certain, I guess, commandments of getting a mortgage that applicants do not need to break. And, you know, one of those is when you apply for a loan, when you apply for a mortgage, don't apply for any other debt. Do not buy anything. <laughs> Sometimes it happens and your vehicle breaks down and it's beyond repair. So what do you have to do? you have to be able to get to work. You have to be able to go here or go there. You have to go buy a car. Before you go buy that car, you need to call your mortgage professional and talk to him or her and just say, hey, I've got to do this. I have no other choice. I cannot wait. I don't have a car that I can borrow from my parents. I don't have a car I can borrow from a friend. I have to go get a vehicle. So, um, you know, the first thing I would say is don't don't take out any new debt at all. But if you have to consult with your mortgage loan originator first. Second thing I would say is. Regarding assets, regarding the money in your checking account, you cannot just move money from one account to another without showing where that money came from. You can't just get a loan or a gift from a family member and put that into your account without proving where it came from. Hmm. The reason that the mortgage industry is so concerned about assets is and where those assets came from is that we have to prove that an interested party in the transaction did not give those funds to the buyer. Meaning we've got to prove that your loan originator 
didn't give the buyer a thousand dollars to make the transaction close so that the loan originator could get a paycheck of four or five thousand dollars ah that's pretty i didn't that didn't even cross my mind but that that makes total sense it prevents fraud it does okay it does and so we have to really dig in and we look at assets I mean, we really go through them with a fine-tooth comb. And and so something to keep in mind for the viewers out there and the listeners out there is regarding assets, typically we are going to question any deposit into any asset account that you provide us the bank statements for. We're going to look at any deposit that goes in there that is greater than 50% of your gross monthly income. Okay. So if someone's making five thousand a month and they get an income tax refund check of three thousand dollars, that's sixty percent of their gross monthly income. So we've got to prove where that three thousand dollars came from, and we do that with a copy of the tax returns showing that the three thousand dollar deposit into the account matches the refund from the tax return of three thousand dollars. It matches penny to penny and we're good to go. Hmm. So those are the type of things that usually present the most issues with home buyers. And, you know, those are those are things to be really careful of and cognizant of as as you prepare to go into the process. Yeah. It's much easier if you've got all your ducks in a row before you start the process than it is to try to get your ducks in a row after you've started the process. Yeah, and, and that will uh, go into our last question about making what are those ducks and making sure we're all, if you were going to give somebody a one-sheeter, like, if you can do all this, you're going to have the best mortgage experience ever. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get into that in just a second. But that's really great to hear. I like the, the no-new debt. I've heard about the no-new debt thing. Like, when you're applying for a mortgage, just don't do things stupid and just just keep work just work do your normal thing don't hold off buy, on the rolls royce yeah yeah don't buy that bass boat that's been calling your name don't don't go buy that new side by side that you really shouldn't buy yeah um which is really comical to me i i didn't because like i have a four-wheeler and i bought my four-wheeler like in 2009 it's a honda rancher and i did not realize how expensive those things have become over time like oh, yeah. i think i paid Forty-five hundred or forty-two hundred. No, no, it was cheaper. Thirty-eight hundred dollars, brand new. And I went back and looked at them this year because I was just curious. A brand new version of what I have is like almost seven thousand dollars, and I just—it doesn't make sense to me. But that's such an easy like. Oh, I can just buy that. It's only gonna cost me two hundred bucks a month. Right. <laughs> and that, yeah. Don't think, don't think about it. Yeah. And that two hundred dollars—that could or could not be an issue. Yeah. But. I've had situations where it's come up where it's been an issue and all of a sudden somebody has a nice new pretty four-wheeler <laughs> and no house or garage to put it in. Yeah, I could I could see somebody trying to buy a house on the lake or something. It's like, oh, I need a new boat or whatever to go with. And then they, they go to ba the Bass Pro or something and they just say, oh, I got to have it. I'm getting a house next week anyway. And then all of a sudden, they don't have a house to put the boat in. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, buyers a lot of times think, okay, well, I'm closing on my house today. So, you know, the seller's taking their refrigerator and I have to have a refrigerator. So if I'm closing uh, on my house today, I'll go buy this refrigerator today. No one will know. 
Wow. We will know. We pull credit the day of closing again. And so when we see an inquiry from Best Buy or you know the local appliance shop into your credit because you've applied for a, a new card for 0% financing for 12 months or 24 Ooh, months or whatever that, it is. That one question is that, would you like to apply for a car day? Yes. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> or maybe, yes, you would like to, but no, I am not going to. Oh, it's man. okay to put that refrigerator on your own credit card that you already have. We're not going to verify your balances on your credit card accounts the day of closing. But do not open any new credit <laughs> at all until you've got the keys in your hand and you have unlocked the door to the front to the front nice. door of the house yeah nice yeah okay good to know that, that's a pretty that's actually really i could definitely see somebody saying hey we're at the closing now i'm having a, i'm going to lowe's afterwards to pick up that fridge or whatever or no i went this morning uh, went and picked one out and and then you're sitting at the closing table and like hey what's this yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll share a story with you real quick and and you know this has been goodness I, I don't think I was in the mortgage business but maybe three years maybe four years when this happened so it's been a long time ago and I can laugh about it today but it was cry worthy the day that it happened <laughs> so I had a, a young couple newly married buying their first home as clients and it is the day of closing. They were putting a very low down payment on the house, 3% down, and the seller was paying all of their closing costs. They had, I mean, almost to the penny, they had just barely enough money to put their down payment on the house and buy it. We didn't have any additional funds verified on this, on this loan. The day of closing, they went out because I told them, don't open any new credit. The day of closing, they go out and they buy a refrigerator and pay cash. Uh-oh. So now where's the down payment money coming from? Oh, god! They don't have it. They spent their cash that they had in their account that they were going to use as down payment on the house. Not all of it, but a big chunk of it to go buy a refrigerator to put into the house that now they cannot buy. Wow. Wow. I mean, things like that, you think we surely I shouldn't have to tell you. Yeah. You have $3,500 in cash. Don't spend, you know, a large portion of it on anything before the closing. You, you have 3,500 you need 3400 to buy the house. Don't go spend a whole lot of money on anything. Wow. But they that's, that's crazy. Uh, man, I could see it happening, though, Like that it's such a simple. Hmm. Okay, well, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. it's kind of sad, but good to know. All right, so moving forward, uh, going into, okay, so we talked about the first-time buyers. Now let's talk about the refinance people, where they've had a mortgage for a while, and just like me and everybody else, all I hear nowadays is historically low rates. And what does that mean? And what's a good night? Like, when should I should truly be interested in doing it? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. So 
historically low rates, what does it mean? Well, we've been as a as a nation have been tracking interest rates for about 60, 70 years, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. And we are right now at a point to where we have never interest rates on mortgages have never been this low before. Difference between an APR and an interest rate because it's something that comes up oh so often in the mortgage process because it's very confusing. The best way I know to sum it up is to say that the APR is supposed to be your someone's true cost of borrowing money, meaning interest rate and closing costs that are associated with getting that loan. And it, the interest rate is the, the true cost of the money itself. How much are you going to repay on that loan that you're getting over the period of time that you have the loan out over the loan term? And so that's the big difference. Generally, the APR is higher than the interest rate because it includes closing costs associated with that loan. And so that's just a, a little aside. It comes up all the time because we're required by law to disclose the APR, the annual percentage rate. And of course, we're required by law to disclose the interest rate. And so those two things come up. They rarely ever match. And that leads to the question of, hey, Andy, I thought you said my interest rate was X, but this APR says my rate is X plus whatever percent. And so that's the difference in those numbers. But with interest rates as low as they are right now, I mean, it is it is amazing to see what some some of my clients have been saving on their mortgage payment wise each month when they've only had their loan outstanding for a year, two years, or three years. Wow. Okay. Typically, just as a good rule of thumb, it makes sense to refinance if you can save about a percent, 1% okay. off of your current interest rate. Now, there are a lot of variables and a lot of factors that can change that. One of them being the length of time that someone expects to keep that mortgage or to still live in the house that they're living in. So if someone tells me, hey, Andy, I'd like to refinance. I'm at 4.25% right now on my current mortgage. I owe you know, $250,000 on it. And, you know, I, I want to do a 30-year fixed rate and just see how much money I can save on, on my payment. Well, one of the questions that I'm going to ask them as I'm going through this qualification session with them, because really I'm qualifying them not only to see if they qualify for the loan, but see if the loan qualifies for them. Yeah. Because they, one of the questions I'm going to ask is, well, how long do you plan on staying in the house? And if they say to me, well, you know, we're thinking about moving in a year or two years. Well, I'm not going to say no, don't refinance because they could benefit from a refinance, but they're going to benefit less from it than someone who's going to live in the house for five years, 10 years, 15 years, who can 
have then five, 10 or 15 years of that monthly savings to put into their pocket. This client is only going to have a year or two years worth of savings to put into their pocket. So that person who tells me, hey, I may only be in here for it, be in this house for another year or two years. I'm going to start talking to that client about let's let's get away from what I like to what I like to call the Christmas party talk. The Christmas party talk is when someone corners you and says, wow, you know, these interest rates today and it amazes me. <laughs> the people that don't even know I'm in the mortgage business start talking about interest rates and real estate. <laughs> but it happens and they say, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I, you hear people, I hear people say all the time, well, I got, you know, 2.1% on my loan and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's all fine and dandy, but what did you pay in costs to get that rate? Because there's a balance there. The lowest interest rate is going to come with higher closing costs. Mm. A higher interest rate is going to come with lower closing costs. So someone who tells me, hey, I think I'm only going to be in the house for a couple of years, there may still be an opportunity for them to save money each month by refinancing. But let's talk about a little bit higher interest rate and lower closing costs so that you're not spending $5,000 in closing cost to save $100 a month on your payment. Yeah. Well, do the math there. If you're yeah. saving 100 a month and you're going to live in the house for two years, you've only saved $2,400, but you've spent five grand. You know, I, I wonder, I could see people having this misconception that they can refinance and it doesn't cost them anything. Oh, yeah. Where, because I, I mean, I can imagine like people are like, oh, I can just because in their head, they're like, oh, you make your money off the interest. Like, no, the, the people who are actually doing the loan for you, they're not, <laughs> they have, there's a process, there's a lot of things that go into play because essentially you're, you're buying your house again, per se. Yeah. You, know, you got to go through the whole process there. And you're right, you know, if you're, you know, if you look at closing costs and it's like five grand to close on a refinance and then you're saving and payment $100 a month, well, that means it takes five years for it to make a lot of sense. And right. if you're and you're like you're saying, if you don't think you're gonna be in that house for the next five years, save your money for now. Yeah. And yeah. it's and then say and then make reap the benefits at a later date when you're looking at the new house you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that makes total sense. I, I didn't even cross my mind that the closing costs would negate the savings if you're there for the short term. But yeah. It makes total sense there. Very good. I like that. I think some people, that's a, it's such a simple thing. Like so far, and this, what I've learned is that these things are very simple, but people sometimes just don't think. <laughs> There's a lot of that. And you know, there, there is a lot to this whole entire process, but it's important to work with someone and, and look, I'm going to say this again. You're not getting politically correct out of me. <laughs> I, I will I will never say something negative about my competition. Sure. That's just not going to happen, period. Um, because everyone's experience in the mortgage process is different because everyone is different. Their qualifications are all different. So what I am going to say, though, is 
I don't care where in the country you live. I personally feel like it's important to work with someone in the mortgage industry and the real estate industry who is local. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about my competition. What the reason I feel like that's important is because I think it's important that you have the ability to walk into someone's office and kick them in the shin if they do something wrong <laughs> or if they don't shoot you straight. And for, for someone who wants to go and refinance their mortgage or buy a home, if they're working with someone local and they can go and they can sit down face to face with that person. Look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very visual learner. I have to see things in black and white a lot of times for them to make sense to me. And if I can sit down face to face with someone and go through those documents and those numbers in black and white and have someone explain things to me, then it's so much easier for me to understand what's actually going on. Yeah. So that for me is why I think one of the reasons why I think using someone local is so important. Doesn't necessarily have to be Galliano mortgage, but someone local is important if you're in the Birmingham area. And so being able to sit down with someone and just go through those scenarios yep. with them and say, hey, here's option one. Closing cost, five grand, saving $100 a month. But let's look at option number two, which is closing cost at $2,500 and we're saving you $75 a month. Now your break-even period's a lot more in line than you know, we're, we were at five, uh, 50 months, you know, before at a hundred dollars a month savings and 5,000 in closing cost. Well, now you're somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 months, 35 months, you know, math's not my strong point, even though I'm in the mortgage business. Uh, just kidding. Calcul calculators, right? Lots of calculators. Calculators will spoil you. There is no <laughs> doubt. There is no doubt. But, you know, it's just good to have a professional that you can work with, that you can sit down with and go through this stuff and ask questions and ask questions until you're comfortable that you are getting the best deal that you can get. Yeah. Well, and I would say, like, even like from our standpoint I'm, i know you're in the same boat of our interests like when i go to talk to somebody about digital marketing our interest is like i want to make sure that is benefiting you the client or the potential client and not just benefiting me right you know we talk about in our core values about having a win-win partnership you know our goal you know is everybody's winning and so same with you when you're sitting down with somebody who's looking to do the first time mortgage or refinance or whatever you're making sure that they're not going to hurt themselves down the road. Mm -hmm. um, even though you can make a quick buck, but you know, like you, you have a, enough concern in your heart to say like, this is not going to be good for them in two years and they don't see that. And I have to open their eyes to see that. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's a big difference too, because when you're local, you know, you may run into that person at the whatever store and you have to have a clear conscience about it, right? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, that's like the true. other, that's the other like factor in being local, doing somebody local is that you probably shop at the same stores or drive the same roads and sit in the same traffic 
So there's a there's an extra layer there. They can't you can't hide per yeah. se. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I know this is getting a little the the recording's a little long today, but let's take the last two or three minutes and if you were going to give somebody a like, hey, if you do this, this will make everything a lot better. What are the things that you are looking for? Like the first thing, like, hey, I need this, this, and this to even start fully discussing. What are those things that people can have ready? So when that, so if I had these things in order and I call you up, you say, well, great, you're ahead of the game. What are those yeah. things? Yeah. So no matter if you're wanting to refinance or buy, if you can have two years tax returns, personal okay. tax returns ready, that would be huge if someone's self-employed and the their company is incorporated as an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp, then we need one to two years worth of business tax returns. So I would just go ahead and say two years personal tax returns, two years business tax returns, and that person should be ready no matter what. If they're a W-2 employee, then typically we'll need one month's worth of, of pay stubs and the pay stubs have to show the employer's name, the borrower's name, and it has to show a year to date earnings and deductions and so on and so forth down that so line. So a real pay stub. A real pay stub, <laughs> exactly, yes. The handwritten pay stubs, on you know from a checkbook from your employer typically you're not going to cut to cut it so and then, and then going to what you said at the beginning you you better pay your taxes <laughs> i could tell you some stories michael man i i have i have seen i i've literally talked to people and they're like oh i haven't made filed a tax return in like four years I'm like well good luck because <laughs> it will catch up to you it will it definitely will. Yeah, that's that's a different podcast in and of itself for sure. <laughs> so that generally will will satisfy any income requirements. You know okay. those those things. So as far as assets are re, are concerned, if someone is pulling cash out of their residence, we typically don't need any bank statements or to prove any assets because we're giving them money to close the transaction. They're not giving us money to close the transaction. Gotcha. So if you're giving us money to close the transaction, then what we need typically is two months worth of bank statements. Now, something on the bank statements to kind of keep in mind is that the bank statements need to show the bank's name, your name, your account number, and it needs to be, if you can provide a copy of the bank statement that the bank sends you or allows for you to access electronically every single month, then that's ideal. That will have everything on it that we need. Okay, cool. But if you can't and you have to go online and do an account history printout, then those things have to show up. Your name, bank name, the length, or period of history that your mortgage originator has asked for. And you need to have a running balance on that history. It cannot just show a transaction and not show the balance in the account after that specific transaction. So it's got to show those things. The date range, 
is very important so that we can prove, OK, yes, this, this is a 30 day history or this is a 60 day history, whatever it is that we require. Basically, so, you're just giving evidence to what you've been told or you're correct. telling your mortgage person like, hey, I make That's 5000 exactly. a month and I don't have enough. I, my debt's low enough where I have money left over. OK, prove it. OK, here's yeah. my bank statement. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then. For someone who's buying a house, we need a sales contract. The sales contract needs to be fully executed. Oh, one thing I want to take a step back and, and just hit with the bank statements again very quickly. At the top of your bank statement, 95% of the bank statements I see have this on there. It will say one of two or three or 10 or 20 pages. <laughs> I have to have every single page, even if page 20 of 20 is blank. At the top of page 20 of 20, it says page 20 of 20 and there will be nothing on it. I still have to have it. You don't give me all pages. The underwriter thinks that you're trying to hide something. So keep Good that man. in mind. But a sales contract. So for those people buying a home, a sales contract is very important. And it needs to be fully executed. So we need to have signatures from the buyers and the sellers on it. And, you know, all of the blanks need to be completed. All of the areas that need to be initialed need to be initialed and so on and so forth. So that's that's very important as well. And then there's going to be things that we're going to that we're going to discover after someone provides us with those documents. There's going to be things that we discover that we need as well. So you know, there will be a secondary list of documentation that someone will need to bring. And uh, one other thing someone can have together is a photo ID. So a driver's license, something like that, that's legible. We need to be able to read all of these documents. <laughs> nothing smudged out, you know. <laughs> nothing redacted, nothing blurry. If you take a picture of your driver's license or a bank statement and, and email that, it, it must be legible. So just, you know, things that are very important that we, th those are common issues that we have to go back to clients for. So. Oh, well, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like a lot, but at the same time, it's something that if you're a responsible person that understands uh, what's being asked for, you could probably collect almost all that info in a day or two um, if you needed to, um, probably wouldn't take much. But. I have more clients today who have all of those documents imaged and either on a thumb drive or on Google Drive or Dropbox or someplace like that. And I ask them, hey, you know, send me two months bank statements. And it's five minutes later that I've got two months bank statements. Nice. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, every, everything is like self-serve too. Like I can go on to my online banking right now, pick out dates, hit download, and I got it. Yeah. And, and then I and like you said, I, I scan all of my tax returns. Everything's digitized. So. Mm -hmm. Phone and download and send like there's it's just to that point, uh, yeah. but it's still good to know because I think there are some things in here that people may not think about uh, when they're like, oh, I got all this. And they're like, oh, wait, no, I don't. And then think about that or they may have an, an oh crap moment and say, yeah, you shouldn't look at last month's statement. Look at the months before. That one looks a little better. <laughs> yeah, we thing. hear some of that too. 
like I, I get that too because uh when i got my mortgage i was a sales only position a sales commission only place and like the month before was, did not look great when you looked at the other months it was fantastic i just had like one off month and it was kind yeah. of funny perfect um, timing huh always always yeah. always but all right so that that concludes everything here thank you andy for taking the time out to talk to us this is really great info actually really i, I even though i've been to the mortgage process i still learn from this i mean especially the refrigerator thing that cracks me up i feel bad for those people who have done oh, that it was, it was a rough day yeah so uh but good to know all all together so thanks again andy for doing that uh thank we'll have a link to your website in the description uh, so if you guys want to reach out to Andy in, about your mortgage or refinance or anything like that, he he's your guy. He will take care of you. He's located in the Birmingham area. So he if you're in the Birmingham area, y'all can actually meet in person and not just over a phone. So, um, all right. Well, thanks again, Andy. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. That sounds great. Thank you, Michael. Have a great day. Thank you. All right.